Here in the first world, you may not think we have any food scarcity issues. With 24-hour convenience stores and fast food chains and rising obesity rates, it might feel like our food is more abundant than ever. But what if we take a step back and zoom out and look at the whole situation? From a global perspective, we have a huge looming problem. There are already almost a billion people that are chronically hungry right now. In 33 years, there's going to be about 9 billion people on this planet and we'll all need to eat. So what are some of these exact challenges we're facing? Well, to start, the world's food production will need to almost double. At the same time, arable land is getting scarcer, our oceans are overfished, and the way we farm is unsustainable, especially when it comes to livestock. Something clearly needs to change. It all sounds pretty dystopian, to be honest. But if there's one thing I've learned, technology has proven to save humanity on a few different occasions, albeit it could also lead to our demise, right? What are some, you know, viable solutions that are on the table right now that might actually help us as a global culture and population? Yeah. What if I told you there was a sustainable food source that could also provide high-quality protein and nutrition to billions of people? What if we replaced livestock farming with a sustainable food source and we could minimize our carbon footprint? So there is a solution, but I assume there's a catch, right? Yep. No one in the Western world wants to eat it. So I read a report by the United Nations when I was in college, and this was actually the UN's most downloaded report in history. And in that report, they outlined all the very positive reasons for consuming insects. And it was a very rational report. So it was, here are the six logical reasons why you should eat insects. So this report came out, got a lot of media coverage, but they didn't even speak about, for even one paragraph in this giant report, how you actually convince people to do it. And so... That was a pretty huge light bulb moment for me and my roommate at the time, who's now my business partner. We read this report and it was very compelling, all these amazing reasons to eat insects, incredibly nutritious, incredibly sustainable. And we thought if you could figure out how to crack the psychology of getting Americans and Westerners over that hurdle, then you can introduce a game-changing food source, which was previously considered taboo. So who you heard there was Gabby Lewis, the co-founder of EXO. They're a startup based in New York City with a mission to introduce insects as an alternative protein source. They were originally inspired by a report put out by the UN on edible insects, and that inspired him and his roommate Greg to start making protein bars out of crickets. This all happened when they were attending Brown University. So after graduating in May 2013, they decided to turn their passion project into a business. And while there's a lot to think about when it comes to recipes and sourcing crickets, they know what their real challenge is. It is entirely a branding problem. And our entire business is solving the marketing challenge of how you convince people that insects are cool or aspirational and not weird. And no one's cracked that yet. And we're getting there, but there's no silver bullet. So before we dive into everything, can we backtrack a bit and talk about what are the benefits of eating bugs? I assume there's an underlying environmental factor. It seems like it's increasingly more known to everyone that traditional livestock is not quite so good for the planet, right? Right. So according to the United Nations, it's estimated that crickets are 20 times more resource efficient than cows when raised for protein. So give me an example of these efficiencies. What does it look like? It takes significantly less feed, land, and water to rear insects for food. 
Feed usage is one of the most resource intensive parts of livestock farming, as you know. And for the same amount of feed, you could get 60 pounds worth of cricket protein, but only five pounds of beef protein, for example. I've also heard that cattle livestock uses a ton of water. What about crickets? To produce the same amount of protein, crickets only require one gallon of water, whereas beef needs 2,000 gallons. But it's not just the planet that benefits from insects as a food source. We do too. Insects are very nutritious with high fat, protein, vitamin, fiber, and mineral content. Crickets, for example, are a complete protein source containing all the essential amino acids. Yeah, oftentimes when you have plant-based proteins, they're not quite fully complete in terms of their amino acid profiles, right? So you end up having to pair different, different protein sources. There's also a wide variety of edible insects with their own nutritional composition. Take the mealworm, another edible insect. It has a comparable protein, vitamin, and mineral content to fish and meat. It even has a similar amount of unsaturated omega-3 and 6 fatty acids relative to fish. So while Gabby and ExoProtein are on one side of the spectrum with the consumer product side, where are they getting these crickets from? We also talked to Andrew Brentano, co-founder of Tiny Farms, a high-tech insect farm in California that supplies cricket flour to ExoProtein, among other cricket-based food startups. He initially planned on starting a food product company, but at that point in 2012, there were no edible insect farms, and Andrew realized they had to switch gears because there was no supply chain. In some respects, they're not that different from any other animal. If they get contaminated from the outside, they can carry a pathogen. So, you know, salmonella, for instance, could get into a facility somehow tracked in by someone who works there. And the crickets could carry it just like a chicken can. But the post-harvest processing handles that. You clean them and you cook them. So it's the same with any other meat really in that regard. Where you see a really big difference is in terms of um, diseases that can jump from an animal to a human. So whereas the biology of birds and particularly mammal livestock is much closer to humans, and so you can get something like a bird flu that can then transition to a human, the biology of the cricket is so far apart from the human, it's much less likely that that you'd have something like that. So although the cricket could, you know, carry the pathogen that was introduced in the environment and you need to have procedures in place to stop that, you're not gonna get something new jumping out of them. The other big thing is antibiotics. We don't use any antibiotics uh, in the facility, so we're not fostering these antibiotic-resistant bacteria the way you can have happening uh, in the traditional livestock uh, system where you have enormous amounts of antibiotics being pumped in just as a matter of course. So it's starting to become abundantly clear what are the benefits. Insects are healthy, environmentally friendly, free of antibiotics, and safe from diseases that can potentially make us humans sick. So what is the real challenge at hand here? 1,600 species of insects. They're all really good for the planet as a protein source. They're really good for you as a protein source, as a source of iron, calcium, everything else. Yet purely because of our culture and the way we look at food and the lens we look at food through, we're just not touching it. And it's like a giant waste not to touch it. In a sense, the only thing stopping from introducing the sustainable food source is human psychology. However, we're not talking about everyone here. It's important to note that 2 billion people around the world consume insects on a regular basis in parts of Latin America, Southeast Asia, and Africa. 
that's pretty much a quarter of the world's population. Yeah, in Asia, it's quite common to see bugs on a stick or in huge walks across food markets. Before the Western world, there isn't a culture of eating bugs, so it's very psychologically difficult for people. It's seen as disgusting, terrifying, or just an absolute last resort for survival. There's a reason why eating bugs was such a common challenge on the TV show Fear Factor. But according to Gabby, why is cricket a delicacy in one culture and horrifying in another? I mean, think about it. There's no like, there's no reason why we shouldn't eat horses or many other animals. Like in the U.S., at least, we we eat cows, pigs, chickens, lamb, maybe anything else. Not really. There are like four or five animals yeah. we think are normal, and then we think other animals are really weird. Totally irrational and purely based in culture. Perhaps it's part of this irrationality when it comes to our culture and psychology, or perhaps. Eating insects comes down to a lack of knowledge and education. But for some, I think insects just aren't thought of as a nutritious food source. The biggest bias we're trying to counter is this idea that insects are an inferior food source. And they're not. They're better quality than most protein sources we eat. They're high in all sorts of micronutrients. And so we thought if we were to hide it or rename it or downplay it, it would feed into this idea that there's something wrong with it. And that you only eat insects because you can't afford steak, which is a very common misconception. And it's not true at all. What we're doing isn't as simple as make this packaging stand out on the shelf. We, we're actually having to reimagine what insects are. And right now, most people here, hear you say, eat this insect, they're gonna <laughs> screw up their face. And we want them to be intrigued or them to even think, Oh yeah, that's cool. I read about that somewhere last week. And so we're trying to change everyone's perception of what insects are, which is a, a pretty um, serious challenge. And according to Gabby, the disgust factor also plays a big role in why EXO ended up using cricket flour for their protein bars when there were hundreds of other insects to choose from. When we first started, where she worked with the world's expert on the psychology of disgust. And we created these focus groups uh, where we figured out what format is going to be most appealing to the consumer. So is it a whole insect versus a cracker versus a protein bar? And then we looked at various insects as well. So we looked at ants, crickets, beetles, mealworms, and we found that crickets are the most appealing or the least unappealing, let's say and the hiding or grinding the, the insect rather than it being in its whole form is also superior. And those are both like fairly kind of intuitive, but we've done it formally as well. And even recently, we cut up our bars, two of the exact same protein bar, and we took them to people around the office and we said, this bar on the left is cricket, this bar on the right is mealworm, which do you prefer? And every single person preferred the cricket bar, even though it was the exact same product. A lot of people were even like, oh, this mealworm bar is gross. The cricket bar is tasty. Literally the same thing. So Eugene, you eat EXO protein bars, right? Yeah, I've had a few before. I, they're not that easily, they're not that readily available here in Hong Kong, but I was fortunate enough to be sent some samples and tried them out and I, I honestly really enjoyed them. Nice. How did you hear about EXO and how did you get into their protein bars? I've always recognized that 
plant-based protein sources didn't always have the same health benefits. And not to say they can't fulfill what you need, but you know, back to the earlier point, the amino acid profile was something that was often not totally there. Like you needed to find ways to kind of ensure all the building blocks were there. And I also became more and more aware of the detrimental effects of livestock on our planet. And I grew up in a place that was very much big into beef and like livestock and all that stuff. But at the same time, I was like, there has to be a better option out there. And that's sort of how I stumbled into doing more research on insects and the protein sources they can yield. You've tried the protein bars too, right? I did. I tried the one that you gave me. What do you think about it? I liked it. It actually reminds me of Lara Bar, which is I my haven't favorite. Had that before. Okay. That one, I really like the taste of, but it's not very high in protein, I don't think. Or it's at least very high in carbs and sugar, which I don't want. Yeah, the Lara Bar. Yeah, exactly. Got so it. I like that because the other like real protein bars are just way too fake tasting for me or chalky. It's chalky. Yeah. That's the big that's the big issue you get with traditional sort of uh protein powders. Right. Like I didn't get that chalkiness and I mean at the end of the day there I don't think there's any sort of negative taste associated with crickets. It's more the psychological um barrier of what is it I'm eating versus the taste. You right. know what I mean? Like there's a lot of foods that look disgusting and people can't get past it, but they taste more than fine. But have you ever had just a whole cricket in its natural <sighs> form? I don't think I have actually, but I would not be opposed to it by any means. Because I wonder how neutral it tastes or is it just hidden? Is it taste hidden by other ingredients in the, the protein bar? Yeah, that's, that's actually a, a pretty legitimate question. Gabby briefly touched on something that, for the most part, seems to be left out of the discussion when it comes to eating insects. It's a very important factor to humans when it comes to choosing what we eat, taste. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, not everyone in this world has the luxury of choosing what they consume based on how palatable it is, but it very much drives our eating choices in the first world. So obviously in EXO's mealworm versus cricket bar test, Participants' reports on taste was skewed by their perception of the insect they thought they were eating. But what do crickets actually taste like? Two main species of crickets that are reared. Uh, both of them have slightly different flavor profiles, but then also you get a lot of flavor difference depending on uh, where in the life cycle you harvest them uh, because you get a different fat and protein ratio depending on how old the cricket is. It affects the flavor a lot. And then also a lot of influence from what they eat. So if you feed, uh, say, a, a commercial uh, chicken feed to your crickets, which has some fish meal in it, they're actually going to pick up a little bit of a fishy taste. If you feed them, you know, something that has, uh, say, flax meal in it, they're going to get more of that nutty taste. Um, you can also get, get flavor in them by feeding them something right before you harvest because you eat the whole insect. And so if they have, like, a residual bit of, let's say, you know, some basil or some almond or something that you want them to taste like, you can feed it to them right before you harvest them. So from the sounds of it, crickets are almost like a blank canvas in the sense that you can manipulate what they'll taste like based on what you feed them. But Andrew thinks the taste of insects is almost besides the point. Right now, the primary use of the cricket is 
completely irrespective of the flavor. It's just being stuck into, you know, a processed food or a snack food that uh, completely masks the crookedness. Or, or if anything, it benefits. The, there's sort of a mild, savory nutty note that can boost, particularly like baked goods, and, and make it a little more delicious. But that's not been the primary focus. The primary focus has been, you know, have something as neutral as possible, or or at most mildly nutty, and which is fine. Crickets have a naturally very mild flavor, and that's part of why they've uh, caught on so well. But all the insects out there have different flavor profiles, and as the kind of broader trends of acceptance shift and people get more interested in the ingredient and more sophisticated as consumers uh we can start to see more there but also chefs get involved so um you know when you start to get really high-end chefs playing with this they don't care about protein you can get protein from anywhere they only care about new and exciting flavors and so they're going to work with preparations that really boost that and you know uh, the the Nordic Food Lab, the guys that do R&D for Noma uh, in Copenhagen, did a whole series of experiments with crickets, and they ended up making a garum, which is kind of like a fish sauce. It's like a fermented... They they roasted the crickets, and then they fermented them into this salty, you know, sauce. And to me, that's brilliant, because then you're really... You're taking this thing, which is this little, you know, potential umami bomb, and you're really heightening that and bringing that to the front. Andrew just touched on one of the solutions to the problem. Clearly, there are populations that find crickets palatable, but the Western world isn't one of them. Maybe there's a way to present insects in a form that is more familiar and even tasty to us with some help from professional chefs. There's definitely a movement in the fine dining world towards insects, and Noma in Copenhagen, best restaurant in the world right now, they've served a bunch of different insects. Our chef, who came from the Fat Duck in England, which was the number one restaurant while he was there, they did a documentary with the BBC where they served crickets. That was several years ago. All over the world are serving insects. And then we're serving $3 premium, like fancy gluten-free protein bars. Yet we're all trying to democratize this cheap, sustainable protein source. It seems like there's a slight hypocrisy there, but I think when you look at sushi and lobster, and various other foods that have crossed this chasm we're trying to cross. The way they do it is somewhat top-down. And so you need the best chefs in the world talking about lobster or crickets to make it not seem cheap and gross. And then the way you start selling to consumers is to consumers who really care about nutrition because crickets are very nutritious. And so all of our early adopters, the ones that want really high-quality protein bars. The sushi and lobster examples Gabby mentioned are important case studies for companies like EXO. He sees his biggest challenge as a branding or marketing one, and these are two foods that were able to completely rebrand in America. Yeah, so I did a bit of research into sort of America back in the day, and lobsters were often seen as one of the least desirable food groups one could eat. There was such an overabundance of lobsters that they were often fed to the poor, to servants and prisoners. I think a lot of this came down to the fact they were what they called dirty bottom feeders. In fact, it got so bad in one Massachusetts town that people successfully sued their owners so that they could only be fed lobsters three times a week. I mean, that's a nice luxury in this modern day. But lobsters as we know it today, 
They're seen as a delicacy and they can be very expensive as well. Yeah, it's crazy to think that there was ever a time where that it was for prisoners. But likewise, sushi wasn't always as popular as it is now in the West. Sushi restaurants started popping up in America in the 1960s, but raw fish was a very foreign concept when it was first introduced to Americans. It took the invention of the unintimidating California roll, an inverted sushi roll with cucumber, crab meat, or imitation crab, and avocado to pave the way for sashimi and sushi in the US. So it appears that success stories like lobster, like sushi in America, are the inspirations behind EXO. It's especially valid in a world that's not quite ready to eat insects. So thanks to the rise in popularity of protein bars, EXO has found a convenient and familiar vehicle for the cricket. In a sense, the California roll was the gateway drug to sushi. And EXO's gateway drug to insects is the protein bar. I think 10 years ago, protein bars were for bodybuilders. But today, like, my grandmother eats protein bars for breakfast. And, and she's not like a bodybuilding grandma. She's just a regular grandmother. And she's not going to buy, like, the giant one with gold letters. It's like MetaRx, like, 50 grams of bodybuilding protein. But the idea of eating a kind of healthy, high-protein, convenient snack is no longer confined to niche audiences anymore. Another solution to the Western world's fear of eating bugs is simply building awareness. Ever since the UN's report on edible insects came out, there's been a lot more media coverage on the topic, but it doesn't hurt the cause to have famous people spreading the word too. So Tim Ferriss was one of our first outside investors, and he's been very involved since the beginning on everything from product development to how we kind of light the gas on our PR and like really blow that up. Um, to just talking about it on his blog. So he's, he's very involved. Others, like Nats, for example, it's more just name recognition, which, which is huge and shouldn't be understated, right? So the idea that like, one of the most famous rappers of all time is <laughs> investing in and consuming insect protein, again, would have been crazy four years ago. Uh, and it's still a little bit crazy, but it's cool. And when people hear things like that, it just lends more weight to what we're doing. And so we have those guys as investors. We also have Dentsu, which is the largest advertising agency in Japan. We have a fund called Acre, and they're the investment arm of Campbell Soup Company. And so again, it's like to think that Campbell Soup would be backing bug protein uh, would have been inconceivable until, until now. So there are a lot of kind of respectable figures and funds getting behind this, mostly just because it makes so much logical sense. And if you can crack the marketing problem, then you're golden. Surprisingly, Gabby welcomes competition in the marketplace and sees it as something that will further the cause, bringing more business to everyone in the insect space. When everyone was just starting up, there was this naive belief that there's going to be one winner, and there's going to be one winner like next year, and that we, we shouldn't tell each other anything and we should all just like kind of be antagonistic. And we tried to resist that, but that was kind of how everyone felt at the beginning, which I think is how you feel how anyone feels when they're starting a business before they really understand business. And especially with what we're doing, the more people doing this, the better for everyone. Because we're all just introducing a new food source and we're all educating the consumer. So from our perspective, unless somebody does a bad job at it, meaning they put out a product that tastes awful or they brand it terribly, if everyone's doing a decent job, the more people doing it, the better. Because then just the more people that are going to hear about it, 
more people are going to try cricket and open up their minds. So we view the competition as, as good. So much so that before there was a lot of competition, we actually thought about launching a second cricket bar under a different brand. Because we figured like, if you walk into a store and there's one cricket bar, you think it's weird. But if you walk into a store and there's three cricket bars, you're like, oh, like maybe this is a thing. So we were like working on another brand to launch, like keeping it quiet that it was actually just us. But then someone else did it, so we didn't have to. <laughs> so it seems like the main strategy of EXO and other companies in the insect market is to essentially mask the insect in the food. That means if someone was to consume an EXO protein bar, they would not for a second think that, hey, there's bug flour in this. Do you think there's a disconnect between the final product they're creating and eating insects? And is this gonna sort of prevent them from moving forward at a faster rate? Yes, I think there is a disconnect and I'm conflicted about it because on one hand, I think it's a good thing because that's how you're gonna get people to eat it. And it is so good for us and the environment. On the other hand, I just don't think we, as people should be disconnected from what we're eating. It's kind of similar to like people who eat a lot of um, meat and fish, but God forbid they see the head of the animal, then they freak out. Like, I don't think that we should approach our food that way. So based on your experience in the food and beverage industry, what's been a successful way of getting someone to try a food that they've typically been turned off from? You know, I think organ meat is a big one. You know, like when you were working at your previous restaurant, you obviously served organ meat, like, you know, even stuff like pate, chicken livers. How did you get people to sort of try it and open up to the concept of something a little bit more foreign? And do those strategies apply to this situation? Honestly, I think it's having someone you trust who's not too different from you tell you that it's good. So do you think that in that case, you as, you know, whether it's your server or whatever, doesn't really wield all that much power because they're more likely going to trust their friend versus even, you know, the expert in this case being, you know, the server. I think there's always going to be more trust in a friend because your server is there to sell the stuff that doesn't want to be sold, you know? So it's like, are they really recommending this or are they just trying to get it, you know? Get rid of it. Exactly. Within the whole Tiny Farms and EXO cricket movement, it seems like it's generally quite positive, but as I understand, there's actually been backlash. Could you maybe give me a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, so companies like Tiny Farms and EXO have been receiving media attention and generally positive response, of course, but not everyone is happy about the strides they've made. Not only are there still a lot of questions to be answered, but people have straight up sent them hate mail. That's actually pretty surprising. I wonder what they had to say. Well, there are a lot of like illegitimate critiques. So we 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 have a we get a lot of hate mail. I mean, some of them, some of the hate mail I couldn't even say in public. Uh, we get a lot of very racist hate mail from people that assume this is only something that third world countries should do. And so, a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people, very few people, but they write to us, view eating insects as a regression of society, and they think that. Once the country can afford beef, it should eat beef. And insects are only for poor people, which couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, in, in Uganda, grasshoppers cost more than steak because it's a delicacy. And there are similar examples in other countries. So we get hate mail of, of that kind. But in terms of legitimate critiques, 
I think, I mean, one that's legitimate is that this is a very young industry. And so there are lots of things we don't know. And so, you know, it could be, for example, that the iron in crickets is less absorbable than the iron in steak, for example. We've got no reason to believe that is, but most foods we consume today have been studied for decades and decades, um, and insects haven't. They've been consumed forever all around the world. But in terms of like good scientific research and the nutritional properties, and there's still a lot to learn. So that's the kind of biggest, I wouldn't call it a critique, but it's a question mark for all of us and a lot of answers to fill in. So yes, there are challenges, there are questions, and there are haters. But there has definitely been enormous growth in this area in only a few short years, and both Andrew and Gabby see the potential. Andrew started off by saying, we, we can get caught up for days or weeks on some kind of proximate problem that we're trying to solve here in the farm, and sometimes you think, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is like a stupid way to be spending my life. But then you, you step back and you think about, like, wait a second, we're, we're actively contributing to a future where everyone has good food to eat and societies don't collapse. That's kind of how I think about it. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, okay, let's solve these problems. And the, the other big thing that keeps them going is just seeing the momentum building around this with, with the other companies in the space, with public interest. I mean, seeing things in the paper like the Mariners Stadium in uh, Seattle starts serving little cups of fried grasshoppers and they sell out. You know, it's like there's this kind of validation that we get from, from that momentum building and from getting calls from potential customers saying, hey, I need, you know, this much cricket, you know, next month. And we're like, wow, well, we don't have that available for you, but I'm excited that there's more demand than we're able to supply. That means we're doing something right. So these kind of two things is, is keeping that big picture vision and also just keeping kind of our ear to the ground and staying attuned to the bigger picture momentum that's building. It was very exciting. Gabby's take on it was a bit more pragmatic. Obviously, from a purely kind of selfish business perspective, we'd like it to move faster. And even from a selfless environmental perspective, we'd also like it to move faster. Uh, so from our perspective, I'd say it's moving too slowly. But looking at it from a place of perspective, it's happening a lot quicker than anybody could have reasonably predicted. And like I said, now if we go into a store, most people have heard of it. And we've got tens and tens of thousands of customers who eat our bars routinely. And I don't think anybody would have believed that a few years ago. If you'd said there are going to be cricket bars in thousands of grocery stores and it's going to be consumed by a lot of athletes in four years' time, I don't think anyone would have believed you four years ago. So having heard all sides of the business and the process, what's your takeaway from all of it? This particular story is about edible insects, right? But what really inspired me about Exo and Tiny Farms is that while they are for-profit businesses, these are normal people with no prior experience in edible insects, making an effort to make an impact and do something positive for the world. Gabby started this project in college instead of following through on a job offer at a hedge fund. Likewise, Andrew knew nothing about farming, let alone cricket farming, but he and his wife now run this trailblazing company that supplies bugs to companies like EXO. People should just 
dive in and attack bigger problems. You know, it, it might be sort of satisfying to drive more users to your web page or your app so that ultimately you can get some ad revenue down the road. There might be some kind of interesting technical problems in there. But if you take on like a, a big world problem, so in our case, it's like, where's our protein and our food gonna come from? And you know, not just tomorrow, but 25 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there's a, a really deep level of satisfaction you can get from that work and, and fulfillment. Plus the fact that you can actually potentially be saving lives in the future as opposed to just, you know, racking up a few more, you know, page views. Uh, and, and so I would encourage people to really think hard about what global issues resonate with them personally. For me, food and the food system is kind of close to my heart. And so it makes a lot of sense for me to get into sustainable agriculture. But that's not for everyone. There's all sorts of, you know, energy production, logistics, transportation. You know, there are these huge problems that we're facing in all of these things. But ocean pollution, you know, plastic recycling, what are we going to do with that? There, there are so many problems that, and there's no particular skill prerequisite to attack any of them. You know, humans are all kind of, you know, multi-purpose machines. We can learn what we need to learn. I. I never studied agriculture. I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm now running a farm. You know, we are now world-leading experts in cricket production. You just dive in and you learn everything there is to learn about it. And it's really fulfilling. One thing is for certain, both of them are really visionary people. Andrew might be surrounded by these billionaire, high-worth tech companies. But Tiny Farms isn't an app and it's not a tech company. It is, however, a true vehicle for change. 